for so many of us, we're kept awake at night with the need, the, the pulling, the call to finally be on the set of a major film, to finally be behind the camera and shoot your feature film, to finally get the resources and the talent and the experience that you need to shoot your first short film. Like, it, it this, this, this calling, this urgency, you know, like uh, the lead character in Close Encounters, like, I, I might as well be staying up all night carving, you know, uh, you know, a movie out of potatoes. <laughs> I, it's been the thing that has driven my life for so many years for over 20 years this has been the urgency that i've had and the need that i've had uh to make a film and i've been incredibly fortunate to have made a few and to have been on the sets working with amazing crew and amazing people and forming just lifelong relationships and together finding with strangers often something magical in just how two humans interact in front of a screen or in front of a camera. I love making movies. And one of the main reasons why I distract myself from that with this show is so that I could talk with other people that love doing what they do, love making movies, love making music, that to be able to connect and identify with somebody else over that urgency over that need, over that hunt for the next fix of creativity. Um, you're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. Come on in, have a seat. Uh, I'm talking about this because our show today is all about set experience. Our show today is all about what it's like to be an actor walking onto a set for the first time and having to work with a legend like Daniel Day-Lewis. It's all about, uh, you know, being on an amazing set with an amazing crew, an amazing team, and then getting hired to walk off of that beautiful buzzing experience onto a lesser than that set and a set with people that don't necessarily collaborate well and don't necessarily respect talent. Um, and then being able to recognize these things and still work in a professional way, still find your character, still find the story. Today's show really, really digs in deep uh, about what it's like to be an actor on sets, about what it's like to be an actor working with directors, sometimes famous, sometimes not, uh, what it's like to be dealing with visual effects as an actor, and more than anything else, you're going to walk away from today's episode understanding the importance and the value of your human experience when it comes to creating content, when it comes to making films or telling stories, the value that your life experiences have for other people to learn from, to fall in love with, to be afraid of. I mean, that's what it's all about. So on today's episode, we have uh, the established, the prestigious character actor, Jamie Harris on the show. Those of you who don't know Jamie's work, you've seen him before. 
Uh, he was in Lemony Snicket's series of uh, uh, Unfortunate Events, the movie. Uh, he was a regular on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was the character that had no eyes and would teleport all the time. He also played a part in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And most recently, he has been uh, playing sort of the racist police officer in Carnival Row, which is cool. Um, Jamie... Uh, was suggested to us on the show a few weeks ago. We've been trying to make this episode work. There's been a bunch of things like technical issues and scheduling issues, but it was worth the wait. Uh, it's a great episode. You guys are in for a treat. So before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at my pet you following the podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process. Say it with me. P O D on Instagram. Um, yeah. What is what what's been going on with me? So I haven't talked about it yet, and maybe I'll do a whole Thursday catch-up episode on it, but I was very fortunate uh last week to get invited by my buddy, director, actor Rick Darge. He's also been on the show. I gotta get Rick back on the show again. I've been on his show, Bumper to Bumper. Rick and I have become buddies, and uh his girlfriend, talented actress herself, was just in my movie so she just did the voice stuff for my movie hillary um and so uh the two of them have become really close friends with me and gina uh they came by to hang out the other night to meet our new pets the little rat boys they're looking at me right now it's been pretty fun hanging out with those two what's up buddy yeah i'm talking on a microphone um so yeah they came over to hang out with the rats and then uh the next day rick was like hey man do you want to go see tommy wiseau's new movie and i was like yes and if you guys haven't heard it go back and listen to the rick darge episode it's early in the numbers i don't know exactly what number it is um but go back and listen to it because he talks about his time and his relationship with Tommy Wiseau. If you guys don't know who Tommy Wiseau is, he is the director, the writer, the actor in the cult film, The Room. Yes, the movie that uh, Seth Rogen and uh, James Franco uh, essentially uh, poked fun at in their uh, rendition of it for that A24 movie. What was it called? I can't remember. Um, but uh, Tommy Wiseau and uh, the cult following that he has had has been epic. Rick's stories and relationship with Tommy have been hysterically epic. And so when he was like, do you want to go and uh, hang out? I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, and we did. We went, uh, saw the movie, saw him. The movie was uh, insanity. Um, the thing that fucking you know just put me back on my heels was the human interaction that this audience had with the screen itself while they watched this movie and it's a new movie it's not like something that's been around for years and the audience was like saying lines singing songs that were in it uh making references talking to the screen laughing screaming it was a fantastic movie-going experience, something that I haven't felt in a long time. And, um, you know, it felt like going to see a midnight screening of an old Grindhouse movie. It really did. Um, and then Tommy was there doing uh, 
Q&A. <laughs> and uh, what a madman, to say, to say the least. What a madman. I don't know how that guy interacts with human beings on a daily basis. Uh, what a weird fucking dude. But it was a lot of fun. And uh, I walked out of there and I was saying to Rick after, I said, man, don't you wish that you had an audience that really fucking had that good of a time in a movie theater? You know, I want my movie to be better, but don't you wish that that's what you can get? You know? So it was fun. It was a lot of fun to do. Thank you, Rick, for inviting me. I appreciate it, ma'am. And uh, it's one of those like weird little Hollywood moments that you have out here where you meet a strange fucking dude. It's like, Tommy, why are you always wearing gloves? What's the deal? What's the deal? What's going on here? You know, you're like Charlie's uncle and always sunny. Don't look at my hands. What's happening? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Anyway, so let's get to today's episode, right? Because it's a great one. I'm very excited for you guys to hear it. So stick around. If you're a movie fan, stick around. If you're a director's fan, stick around. If you're an actor trying to figure out how to be professional on sets, and stick around if you've always had that dream to be on a film set. Um, because Jamie, you can go for a ride with him. Jamie will help take you in. You feel like you're there with him and you feel like you're experiencing things for the first time. I mean, we talk about Terrence Malick, for Christ's sakes. It's exciting. So strap yourselves in and prepare yourself for a fantastic episode of In Love With The Process. Jamie, thanks for being on the show. How are you, man? I'm very well. Thank you very much. I'm excited to have you. We've, we've been trying to do this for at least a week or two weeks now, and uh, I'm pumped that you were able to make the time, man. Always. Uh, yes, we have been, but this is this is a good day for it, I believe. <laughs> yeah. It's still kind of gloomy here in Los Angeles. It's been gloomy for at least a month. I feel like it's I'm back on the East Coast. Yeah, I feel it's been a year. We've, we've sort of adopted the European weather out here. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. 68 degrees most of the time. Uh, you know, being a kid that comes from Boston, I'm used to it. But that's like, I moved oh, to Los Angeles. I man. lived in New York for uh, 10 years. Oh, yeah, man. Did you move to New York for acting? I did. I moved to New York to do a play uh, 
called Dealer's Choice at the Manhattan Theatre Club. Oh, cool. In the late 90s and fell in love with New York mm-hmm. and vowed never to leave and then came <laughs> to L.A. to do a movie, got another movie, and then somehow ended up in L.A. <laughs> Deeply regretted it for the first two years, and now I love it. <laughs> uh, you were probably in New York to say, so I was in New York in the late 90s going to film school then, and I, I loved it too, um, but I just realized as a director, I'm like, I had I was able to make a bunch of movies here, but it was so difficult for me to produce some on my own. If I go back to where I grew up, I'd probably have more access. So I ended up moving I, back to Boston. I, I don't know, because I tell you um, – uh, I, when I lived in uh, New York, there were a lot of really good uh, writers uh, doing theatre, off-Broadway theatre, yeah. and they really had no luck at all, always getting panned by the New York Times, Ugh. and uh, came to L.A. and made very good careers for themselves. So I don't know. I yeah, thought, man. You know, it could be a bit... Well, I mean, New York's ruthless, right? I mean, it's the coolest place in the world when you're working and you've got stuff going on. And then as soon as you're not, <laughs> you feel like you're just stuck in like, you know, a five by five, you know, square foot prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Are you, yeah. You're bringing it all back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've been working for a long time, man. And one of the things that I love to do on this show, being a director that has nothing but respect for actors, nothing but respect for people that are willing uh, to do the hard work on screen. And my favorite people to work with have always been uh, supporting characters and like the hardworking actors that are just busting their ass and doing parts all the time because it just, you guys have the skills. You guys have a toolkit ready to go. And it's, I mean, well, Why? yeah, I, I think that one of the joys, there's, there's, there's pros and cons. One of the joys, I think, of being character actors, supporting actors, if you like, yep. is that you play different roles the whole time. You're not stuck in one role, which will then sort of kind of takes over your life, really. Um, the amount of shows I've done with, uh, and uh, you know, I always get on with the cast when I'm on a show, uh, and, and I may do one as a guest star. The big complaints I get from the guys who are playing the regular roles is it's the same role day after day, <laughs> almost the same dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a sort of lethargy in that where you stop feeling excited about the craft. Whereas when you're just coming in, you're whacking something out of the ballpark and then you're getting out. There isn't the financial security, but you have a lot of uh, – there's a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, man, for sure. I, I had a long conversation on the show with Peter Stormare, and him and I talked for quite some time about that and how amazing his career is built on that. Uh, just having the yeah. ability to walk on set for two or three days and try something crazy and just walk off set. He's like, I, I, I fucking love doing that, you know? Yeah, it is great fun because it really is a tightrope. You never know if it's going to work or not. Um, yeah. All you have is you know, the background work you've done on the character, go there. And then, you know, a part of you's not going to give a damn. You just got to do it and really <laughs> enjoy doing it. And they either like it or, or not. And, uh, you know, the greatest thing about, I think, acting is throw it all out there. And if they don't like something, there's always another take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree, man. I agree. And as a director, I'm generally trying to cast people that bring something to the table. Like, it's, it's not... 
it isn't a world of like, here's what I want you to say, say it the way I see it in my head. You know what I mean? It's yeah. come in with something and surprise me with something. And, and, and then next thing you know, a character that was just on the page out of necessity becomes the most flourished piece of that scene. And, and oftentimes my favorite element of, of the scene. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, you can really tell as an actor when you walk onto a set and the other, the other actor opposite you has done his homework as well, because the scene goes to a totally different place mm. and each take is completely different. Although you're holding on to the character, mm. you can go in any way you like, uh, uh, and, or any way you're led by the other actor, and it's it's very enjoyable. Mm. Oh man! Well, so let's let's sort of go back to the beginning with you. Why acting? Why did you choose acting to be your thing? Well, I didn't. I actually initially wanted to be a rock star. Um, <laughs> That's and cool. unfortunately that just didn't pan out. I went to <laughs> Dublin to, to follow my my rock star career. And I couldn't play the guitar very well. Uh, so we had to turn the guitar down. And then I couldn't really sing that well. So we had a huge problem. But it was during the period where everyone in London was in a band. Yeah. Um, you know, and there were great bands out there, but everyone was in a band. Um, uh, and there's just something, I think, brilliant as, as a young person, just trying to do things that may be out of reach and may not. The only way you're going to know it is, is by reaching for it. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I wanted to do first. And like the first films I did, actually, I did it as a runner, which is an AD, the lowest form of an AD really. Yep. Um, he's the, I get the, I get the teas and the coffees and if it's <laughs> raining, I'm always outside in it. Um, and I really enjoyed the craft of the whole business, yeah. every crew member, um, every sort of different division of a film company was fascinating to me to see how it all came together. Not just the actors, not just the directors, not just the writers, but everybody. Yeah. And how everybody um, really is, is as important as everybody else yeah. to try and get this ridiculously difficult thing you know, caught on film in a really short period of time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I found it fascinating. And it's still to this day, the first day you, you, you're you on set, the first roll of a camera, you're pretty much always behind schedule. A hundred percent, dude. That's trying to catch up. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just a fascinating ride. Um, and that's how I started as an AD, and, and I grew to love it. I worked with a great director called Jim Sheridan, mm -hmm. and he told me, great Irish director, and I, I, I'm still in touch with him. I saw him a few years back um, in Los Angeles. And he's, he was the one that advised I go into acting. Mm. Uh, and I sort of thought, yet again, why not give it a shot? And I fell in love with it in acting school. I just, I loved being on stage, and I loved being looked at. Yeah. And and it didn't matter, you know, especially in, in, in a – you know, when you're in a, an acting school, it didn't matter if you were good or bad. That wasn't the point. The point was just to get up there, enjoy it, and learn from the from the teachers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jim Sheridan, for those of you listening, he directed in the name of the Father, which is an amazing. The name of the Father, uh, My Left Foot, The Field. Yes. Uh, the name of the Father was my first uh, job as an actor. He then cast me in that a few years later. That's cool, man. Did my you get first, to work? Did you get to work with Daniel Day Lewis? Well, my first scene 
ever was with Daniel Day-Lewis, and I was terrified. Oh I was like, oh, God, how did this happen? And yeah. of course, at that moment, you're like, why did I pick this career? I'm just, I hadn't slept for three days beforehand because I was so nervous. And I walked onto set going, oh, Christ. And I looked like the character because the character was a kind of, a sort of drugged out hippie. And I looked like that because I hadn't slept. <laughs> and, um, and I got to set early and I looked around the set. What do I do? What do I do? And I knew don't find somewhere to sit down. Don't be standing around because as a young actor, you're going to get fidgety and there's nothing worse to watch someone who's fidgeting around. Yeah. You know, it, um, so I sat down there I found my spot. I sat in it. I commanded the scene. In walked Daniel Day-Lewis, who's you know not just one of the greatest actors, but he was also one of the kindest. Yeah, and it was it was a joy. And then I thought every film would be like that, and of course it isn't. <laughs> um, you then you then go on to you know you go on to do other films that are just rubbish and like, oh god this is what it's about <laughs> that must have been a okay so you 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 step in first the guy directing the movie is a guy that you've worked for for right so you were in the ad department for that director prior to that right yes and then so he suggests you become an actor then cast you in this movie and then your first scene is with daniel day lewis so then yeah. and not only that when we finished the first take uh, Jim Sheridan went, okay, let's do it again. Jamie, just improvise, ad lib your way around the scene. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus. He said, yeah, just think of everything you hate about the Irish and come out with it. <laughs> and we're, we're filming in Dublin with an Irish crew. And I came out with all these comments that the English hate about the Irish. And when he went cut, there was just this total silence. And I was like, oh, God, I think I went too far. Right, right, because you improv it. So the crew's like, this this guy probably thinks this. What do we we hate about the Irish? And I just went into it. Uh, And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That's so cool, man. So then after having such a great experience like that, uh, what was was the next film set like? And did it hit you quickly when you showed up to that film set that this is completely different? Like, what was it like? Film I did, and you know, not to knock it at all, was a film called Princess Caribou, which was shot in England, mm-hmm. and it was a stark contrast. It was a very difficult set. Um, it was a very, uh, it was a very difficult task. Um, the DP didn't really have any time for actors. Oh. He saw actors as puppets and just stand there, shut up, say your lines, and then get off. Oh. And this is the DP, and I was like, oh. God. So I guess, you you know, that's the yin and yang. You had the great and then you had the bad. And then throughout my career, it's been a mixture of of both. Um, Some, some, you know, I've had the honor of working for some of the great directors, working with some of the great actors, and then then the other side of the coin. Yeah. So when you, okay, so then this is the game of professionalism, right? So when you show up to a set with a DP, which is as a director, that is unacceptable to be, well, you know, yeah, it shows, uh, you know, it shows a slightly weaker director, I guess. It yeah, just, uh, for sure. You know, I mean, you know, as I'm sure, you know, like a set, there's so much unnecessary ego yes. on a set yes. that you have to cut through. And the best way to cut through it, I, I always find is just be totally professional, know what you're doing and go through with it. Yeah. Um, and not get not get mixed up with all the uh, 
with all the sort of the other, you know, muscle bulging. Yeah, I feel, well, and then from my perspective, as a guy that runs sets, I feel like a lot of ego is uh, like a, a defense mechanism. It's a shield for insecurity. And so- oh, well, well, I think that's so in life. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you, you know the, 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 the person one is always drawn to is someone that is just very at peace with himself, spiritually, physically, everything. Mm-hmm. Who could just walk in there and he's not challenging. He has an opinion. He gives his opinion and he's willing to listen. Yeah. 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 I mean, but that, that's what the job requires, man. That's what this business is. It's collaborative. It's very much a collaborative effort. And I, I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm just screaming that off the rooftops lately because of the advancements of AI and all this stuff. Like we're not going to need actors. We're not going to need, I'm like, obviously you've never made a movie before. <laughs> like you've never been in a situation like I, if if it was just me doing it by myself and I was sitting with a computer and then and dumping out whatever dumb idea I had yeah. in the moment, uh, it would suck. And I think that you got to remember that this business is about collaboration. It is about these egos clashing. And the stuff that comes out of that is is usually, usually magical. Could be destructive. It could be shit. But most of the time, no, it's magical. Absolutely. I, I, I've yet really been saved from any of the AI stuff and even Carnival Row which had a lot of green screen and a lot of special effects at the end of the day it was one actor acting with another actor yeah and doing scenes with the others and it was great fun the whole special effects thing just didn't affect us mm. and once you you're into a scene it, it really wasn't it wasn't a pivotal character as far as I was concerned um so i haven't come across that you know i did do a tv show um agents of shield yep. which was tricky insofar as there was a lot of that going on yeah um but uh still at the end of the day I, as, uh, only in my own experience at the end of the day it is still an actor uh, at working with another actor with a director and writer you know in collaboration yeah yeah have you ever so you've done green screen work. So have you, is it awkward for you to just be standing in front of a green screen by yourself? Have you ever been in the situation where, you know, like a VFX supervisor is like, look at the tennis ball. That's like this thing. And, and No, I have done that. I have done that. Um, I think I've been reasonably lucky. It hasn't been like a whole day of it where I imagine it's exhausting. <laughs> um, I have done that. And it is, you know, you, 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 in a sense... As an actor, you sort of go, okay, this is puppet puppet work, yeah. and you're just you're just going, okay, I'm totally relying that what I'm doing is fine, and they're going to make it, they're going to make it reasonable because I have no idea what's going on right now. So your 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 hand, your your life is in someone else's hands at that point, somewhat. Yeah, and sometimes it works out fine. Sometimes you know it's more more messy, um, but it is uh, it is tricky. It's tricky on on my end too. Like there's, especially if I'm working for a client. Like if I'm if I'm doing something that has the option of being manipulated way too much in post production, and I don't have a firm grip on where this thing's going or what's happening on the back end of stuff, I just get nervous about that shit. I'd prefer to do as much practically in camera as possible because then I've at least baked into it, you know, yeah. a sense of tone you know, and everything. One of my first experiences, I think, I did. Uh Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, um, yes. Uh, 
and it was uh, Rupert Wyatt was directing it, who was a friend of mine, really nice guy. And we were doing that, and Andy Serkis uh, played uh, played the the the, the lead eight, the yeah. lead character. And it was uh, it was a little um, at times it was a little bit like, what are we doing? Oh, we're doing it again, but now we're doing it without anybody. I'm doing it, so I'm standing here on my own, acting, and there's no one there. Um, but there was, and we were all quite new at it. Um, and it, it took an awful long time because you had to do each, each scene, each take, you had to do three or four different ways. Mm. Um, once you'd got the acting part down, you then had to redo it again without Andy there. Then they had to pull in stuff. It was, it was, it was bizarre, but it was still, and Andy Serkis is such a good actor. Yeah, he's amazing. When he, when he was on set with you, uh, there was no doubt that I was, I was in front of an ape. The way he moved, the way he screamed, and and his aggression in it was fantastic. His vulnerability was fantastic. It was a it was a remarkable thing. But there was a little bit of I have no idea what's going on behind me right now. That's <laughs> very true. I mean, he's such an amazing actor. I feel like he went to the you know the the uh, the graduate school of Peter Jackson for how many years that he was you know, doing stuff on Lord of the Rings. And then he became like second unit director on, on uh, I think the Hobbit movies, maybe. I mean, he, that guy has just been completely immersed in that trade of, of creating characters that are ultimately going to be CG and like mocap and body capture stuff. Yes, but he, and also he's done other stuff, you know, ju- just uh, playing, uh, playing characters, uh, real life characters. In Jury he played. It was fantastic. Yeah. Do you remember a band called In Jury and the Blockheads? No, that would be in England in the late seventies, and and he did a movie on it, and it was actually had just come out when we were doing Planet of the Apes, and I spoke to him a lot about it because I remembered the character, I remembered the band, hmm. and I was fascinated by the movie he'd done on it. Very cool, yeah. I mean, everything I've seen him. Anytime he shows up, I know I'm in for a treat. He's one of those character actors that that just crushes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then. So then you decide that you're going to get into acting. You sort of thrust yourself into it, like yeah. And, and you know, and, and uh, I did a lot of I did uh, a lot of theatre in London and New York, and also I've done some in LA downtown. And I, I do love theatre. I do love it. I love. I lo- to be honest, I love the rehearsals. Um, mm-hmm. I love the rehearsal time where you're just mucking about and trying different things and. Um, uh, and then, of course, I love opening night, although not on opening night. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> that, those feeling of nerves never go, and, and hopefully they never will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love theatre. But I came to L.A. I was doing – I lived in New York. I came here to do um, Lemony Snickets, a series of unfortunate events. Right. Which was being shot at Paramount um, with Jim Carrey and a host of very big actors – and um, that movie took a lot longer to film than I think they expected because mm. it, it felt like I sort of, by the time the film ended, I was about two years older. Um, <laughs> and um, and still, comp- there you go, totally uncertain about what you were doing because a lot of that was green screen. Yeah. Um, and then right after that, I met Terrence Malick and we did uh, The New World. Oh yes, um, that's I love that movie. LA. Yeah, I loved. Well, I loved working on the New World. I thought it was great fun, great, great actors, really good time, oh. uh, a wonderful experience. He's um, he's so 
his style seems to be so fucking immersive and oh good god uh it was it was weird because he shot it chronologically <laughs> so and it wasn't a huge budget it really wasn't a huge budget especially for today yeah um and we were shooting in virginia and it was all shot chronologically and uh, he you know he had a whole camera department but he he was determined to hold the camera himself mm. and, um so often he'd be holding the camera and then he He'd go cut and, he, and he'd turn to the camera crew and go, what do you think? He goes, okay, let's just do it again. Let us hold the camera this time. <laughs> it was, and then everything was, you know, there was, it was all natural light yeah. for most of the film. So it, it was a fascinating process. And you, he was finding his, his footing about the story as we were filming. Mm. So you suddenly see the film come into shape, come alive, and you go, oh, my God, that's what we're doing. Mm, that's uh, fascinating. And you see his eyes would light up when he suddenly realized it. Uh, it, was, it was a phenomenal experience. Well, his, I mean, his, whatever his process is, and, and if that's his process to create his work, I've, I've been a huge fan of his work and how emo emotionally immersive those yeah. movies are, man. And, and also the danger of that is 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 wonderful it keeps you on your toes because you never know when you're going to find it and, mm. and if you're going to find it mm. um you know and then suddenly the moment that you do find you know you, you come to grips with really what the story is about it's not what's on paper what it's really about is a phenomenal feeling for everyone involved yeah. um, i worked with him again afterwards i think it was called knight of cups mm -hmm. i just stay on that as a as a thief I broke into Christian Bale's apartment. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. He shot in Venice, funnily enough. And uh, he comes in as we're robbing his apartment. Um, <laughs> and that was equally fun because uh, I was, and, th and that was improvised. There was no, there, it, it, all it said was his apartment's robbed. And we had all day to shoot it. So we just improvised. But the character I robbed the apartment with had just come out of prison for robbery, armed robbery. So it was fascinating talking to him and to, you know, to. Oh, so in real life. So this guy. In went real life, he just come out of prison. Oh my God. The, the, the other actor who I was acting with robbing Christian Bell's apartment. <laughs> and he was fascinating. I bet. Terrifying looking, but really humble. I, I, you know, he'd seen, he'd seen the error of his ways. If you want to say that and he, sure. he found God and was a very gentle, but a gentle monster. <laughs> uh, it, it was, yeah, it was fascinating. What a smart move to put him and you together. I mean, that's like... Well, yeah. well it was a smart move. And um, he told me this story, and I went to Terrence Manor. I said, you know, you need to listen to his story before you shoot this, because it's fascinating. So he did. Hmm. And Terrence Manor was just blown away. And he was like, you know, and he said to the guy, look, look just say your story... And we're gonna we're gonna audio tape it, and we'll and we'll we'll put it in in the voiceover. Of course, he didn't, but it was still fascinating to hear. So cool, so cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his his movies feel. I I I like the elements of what he does with it. I don't know if I could do a movie the same way he does. It feels like a little too chaotic, but I I fucking love I love the intimacy that he finds, and I I think it's 
you know, from a technical standpoint, it's completely different from that other guy that you had to deal with, this the cinematographer who's like, you guys are yes. just pawns moving through it. I mean, they, they don't even fucking light on Terrence Malick's stuff most of the time. But, but, no, but Terrence Malick, as well as being, you know, he's a phenomenal director, he, he, he's a little bit sort of voyeuristic. Yeah. So he really is, he puts the actors together and he's just standing in the background filming as you perform life. He doesn't really want you to act. He just wants you to live and be as that character in that moment of time. What would you do? So it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. This is what, this is why I'm excited to have you on dude, because you've had these crazy experiences that, you know, I see these directors from the outside as a young director. And I look at these folks going, you know, how did they pull this off? What do they do? And, Thankfully, moving to Los Angeles and doing the show has been really good access for me because every once in a while I end up in a room and it, it's really interesting to hear how other directors work because being a director kind of is a lonely gig because you're not often going to other directors' sets. You're not often seeing how other guys do their stuff. And so I'm always fucking fascinated with like yeah. each individual process. And I know for a fact that all of us are the same. We all feel insecure, especially when we start the job. And so sort of examining that that uh, step over the ledge where you go, all right, this is going to suck. And then it, at, at a certain point, it doesn't. You go, ah. Oh. And I'm always fascinated about when that happens for each person that's behind the camera. It's, it's cool well, stuff. And, and also, it's, it's what's fascinating from an actor's point of view is because um, there are different types of directors. You know, you have actors, directors, you have you know, and directors who are, who are really more interested in the visual. Mm -hmm. um, and an actor's director, obviously, I think, is an actor's dream. But but especially when you do television nowadays, when mm. you're doing these series, the um, the director changes every every other episode. It's not so a director's medium. You yeah. with one, then you, you go straight to three and four, episode three and four, with a totally different director who may have a totally different outlook on on on, on how that show is being filmed or, or what or what he wants to capture from it. So it's quite interesting. I found that in um in Carnival Row was very interesting. Some were real actors and you get into the nitty gritty. Others was visual mm. and uh, and they and you ended up realizing well which director should, can I talk to or should I talk to about this? And which director should I, I'll just hold back and do my thing and be strong in my thing because he's more interested in, in, in you know, in the visual effects. Mm. Um, and either way, as, as an actor, you know, I, I think you have to do have done your homework to be able to come in there and have your secrets about the character. And by the very nature of you saying the word secret, you can't tell anyone what that is. Mm. So, because it may, it may not, uh, it may not, it may not drive the story forward. It just drives your character's journey forward. Exactly, exactly, um, exactly, man. Uh, I, so it's it's interesting. I like I did when I did Lovecraft Country. It was very much that I had a secret that I never told anyone. And then I was uh, I was I was in the bar towards the end of the shoot with the second AD. We were having a drink, chatting. And I told him the secrets. He said, well, what is it? And I said it. He goes, well, why the hell didn't you tell the director? I said, because then it wouldn't be a secret. Yes. It's not directed to capture what I, you know, the looks I was giving, which tells the story of that moment. 100%. And, and by the way, it totally works if you don't capture it. It didn't matter. 
time to take a second. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the equipment, the gear that we use on the show. Uh, you'll hear Jamie and I talk about different types of directors. You'll hear us talking about an actress director and a technical director. Uh, I started my career as a technical director, so I was very much obsessed with the, like how I was shooting things, what I was using, what the lighting looks like. I'm really trying to build a hybrid of that. I want to take what I like from both avenues. Like I want to take what I like from building characters with actors, and I want to take what I know and I like from like building tone and visuals and just sort of smash those together. It's like putting on an extra layer of armor before I go into the next battle. But a big part of that is understanding the tools, right? Understanding what I need to make a job work for me, understanding what I can get away without having. That's big, right? How I can rethink something just because you saw a uh, Instagram story about these specific people using this kind of camera, this kind of steady camera rig, doesn't necessarily mean that that's why that scene is cool or awesome or great. Most likely it has something to do with either the stunt work, the stuntman's work, or the acting in that sequence, so the characters in that sequence, sometimes the writing in that sequence. But uh, I, regardless, what am I saying here? Uh, if you are in the market to cut your film, right? Or if you want to go deep into AI stuff, if you want to go deep into creating a virtual worlds that you can then project on volume stages behind your actors and create the moon without actually having to go to the moon um, and not just have a green screen, right? Super cool. You need a high-end PC, right? You need a high-end computer. And I suggest you go to Puget Systems. Head over to PugetSystems.com, family-run company on the Upper West Coast. The coolest guys that I've ever hung out with as far as gear guys are concerned. I love them. They're my buds. They're my beer mates. I love hanging out with them. I love doing things with them. Um, and they make amazing computers. I have been running my Puget system like a madman for since I've got it. I mean, this thing has been on consistently and I'm able to, sh- uh, to edit 6K, multiple tracks, real time in Premiere. I'm doing DaVinci Resolve color grades and all sorts of fusion effects and composite work all real time. I love my system. If you want to know the specs for my system, write to Puget Systems at their website or contact them on Instagram and say, hey, what are my specs for his system? Because I think I want that one. And I'll tell you this, my computer was built mm, two years ago at this point, so they're going to hit you up with some bigger and better specs, probably for the price. You know what I'm saying? So Puget Systems is the place to go. Head on over there. Choose a baseline system based upon the hardware or the software that you're going to use, rather. So if you're going to be building a Premiere system. These guys will tell you what hardware to use to build, to put it together. They'll put it together for you. Or if you're just someone that wants to build your own PC, it's a great fucking resource, man. PewDieSystems.com is the place to go. Also supporting our show are our friends over at Fujifilm. I love my Fujifilm camera where you shoot with the X-H2S. I just loaned it to Jonathan from Big Black Delta. He came in uh, last week and he's like dude I gotta make some content I want to do some of my own content and I said dude you can borrow it so he just uh, took out the camera last week he's shooting some stuff with it he loves it he's like the autofocus feature is pretty rad and it's not like he's endorsing it so I should stop talking like he is I just lent it out to my buddy um, and he liked it a lot so uh, I love the camera I love it's 
uh, color profiles. I love my lenses. I've got this like amazing uh, one point, what is it, a 1.8 uh, aperture, 50 millimeter, super shallow, very great for low light situations. And it straps right to the front of it. Or I'll use my photo deox adapters and I'll put all my old Nikon lenses, my macros, the lenses that I use to do all those super close up shots in 12KM. If you guys haven't seen 12KM yet, yes, you can still send me um, some of your three favorite horror movies. Uh, DM me on uh, Instagram. And if I agree with you, I'll send you a link. But uh, the lenses that I use to shoot all that stuff, I'm able to strap onto my Fujifilm camera using my Photo Deox adapters. Uh, and Gina has been, I've just watched her all week. She's been uh, editing this uh, photo shoot she did a few months ago using the GFX 100S. And it's gorgeous. Gorge. It's gorge. So can't say enough great things about Fujifilm. Love these guys. Love them so much. I'm actually staring at the shirt that Victor from Fujifilm bought me at the bar when he was here last time. So, Misha Vic. So, that's what's up. Fujifilm. And if you are using the Photo Deox, maybe you are using that adapter with the PL mount, and you're like, hey man, I, I, want, I'm, I want to get my hands on some cinema lenses. And you go, yeah, yeah, you probably should. But you're not going to buy cinema lenses. They're ridiculously expensive and hard to get their hands on. So, how do I get the same sort of tech that these guys are using on television shows and movies? I mean, that's how I see my worlds that I want to create. I see it through the same lens that uh, Zack Snyder shot Army of uh, the Dead, those super shallow lenses. Like, can I get my hands on those? And you go, yeah, you can. If you make a great relationship with your local rental house. I know so many of you listening to the show are all over the planet. What's your favorite rental house? Where do you guys rent from? Send me a message on Instagram. Tell me who you rent from, who you love. If you're in Los Angeles, I highly suggest you go to my favorite rental place, which is Boca Rentals. I love these guys. These guys carry amazing lenses. Like go to Boca Rentals on Instagram and just look at the lenses that they have. They're crazy. I love them. They have access to all sorts of custom vintage lenses, spherical anamorphics. Um, they also have some of the best camera bodies uh, out right now, I know everybody has the Alexa 35. They have a bunch of those. I was shooting on the Alexa Mini LF. I uh, really like that camera as well. Um, they're the place to go for your camera needs, right? So camera lens needs is they, they needs needs come on, Michael. They're all there. Um, I love those guys. Uh, go to Boca Rentals on Instagram and just leave a comment under any of their posts and say, hey, Mike sent me. He says, you guys are the shit. Do you guys have any new training seminars? Like, what's going on? How can we form a relationship? I'm telling you, you won't regret it. I don't know how else to say that. You won't regret it. All right? And then finally... If you're a newcomer to the show and you want to listen to more episodes, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Yes, we have well over 250 episodes at this point. And so I know it can be a bit daunting. I am very proud of a lot of the new listeners that have made their way over here. A lot of folks that have watched 12KM that have come over here specifically to listen to the 12KM episode. I think it's 222 where I go through the process of explaining how I created the creature and what it meant to me. 
a lot of you came over here for that and you're sticking around i appreciate you going back and listening to all the episodes of the show i've seen the numbers man you guys are crushing thank you for doing so and if you like i said if you're a newcomer and you want to just specifically listen to episodes from directors if you want to specifically listen to episodes from other actors they're all up there in categories <laughs> wow i barely got that out they're all up there categorized um by subject material all right all right let's get back into this interview you guys are gonna dig the rest of it man i'm excited are you excited i'm excited See, I just went to, so I've been directing for like 20 years, and I went through this sort of awakening because I started as a visual guy. And so mm-hmm. I came in through cinematography, I came in through that route, and in the beginning, and I've said this multiple times on the show, but in the beginning, I used to see <laughs> I used to see actors as like these scared little unicorns that I didn't want to scare away. <laughs> and that was most of my daily routine dealing with talent. And it took me years and years and years to sort of get comfortable around actors and spend time with actors and sort of figure it out. And then during COVID, I, do- I dove in incredibly deep and I was reading like Judith Weston's books on directing actors. And I really sort of fell into the actor's process and just finished shooting a movie recently. And for the first time ever, I've really felt a bond and sort of a discovery and a building relationship with my actor on building this character. And um, and understanding why he needs to keep a secret, understanding, uh, you know, what I can, what questions I should be asking that person every day and not really telling people what to do, but more so asking them questions and guiding them in that way and, and just discovering cool. things together. And it's, it's been a, a revolutionary experience for me and really has changed the way that I want to tell stories because it's so much more fun and for, it, once you release that as a director and you don't just become that visual oriented fucking guy, suddenly the anxiety of like, oh my God, I'm going to scare these fucking unicorns away. That You now know how to talk to these folks. You now know how to process what they're feeling and how to give them the ammunition that they need to give you these secret little looks and glances and movements that you never knew fucking existed, you know? But I think that's, you know, that's experience in whatever craft you're doing. Um, it's, it's a sort of journey, very. I, I think like life. I mean, you're, you know, it, it, it's it, as an actor, you're. Very, it's very different from when you're a young, inexperienced actor mm. and inexperienced with life, having to do some. You know, you you to, to play a role that takes a lifetime of knowledge. You can't really give to a young actor. Yes, yeah, true. Um, and, and, and if you do, they can be a great young actor and they can pull it off, or you have to nurture them through it. But I think, um, like, for me, 
this experience of life for Jamie Harris taught me, I think, a lot. And then the experience of doing a lot of movies to have that confidence and ability to go, well, this is exactly the background I'm doing for this guy. This is how I see he fulfills the story. It's not, it's not about me. It's about the story mm. and how you fulfill that story and, uh, and take it from there. And also, you have to be willing to listen. Mm. If you're not willing to listen, you're in real trouble. Uh, on both sides of the fence, man, I have to be willing to listen to you too. Like it's, of course. yeah, because you just don't, you don't know what it is. And I, I think that's what makes movies so volatile and dangerous, especially for investors. And I think that's a big reason why most of the shit that we're getting right now are, is like t tried and tested IP. And like a lot of the story arcs and the story structures are very similar because when you're doing something like Terrence Malick, when you're doing something at that level, you don't know if it's going to fucking fail. You have no idea if you're going to fire one. I also think, you know, there, there is an argument I heard someone say that, that the argument is not that the sort of American, you know, because the American movies back in the day were, were looked upon by the world as something phenomenal. Mm. And I think it's less so now. And then some people go, well, that's the American, that's the, the film's industry's fault. And I'm not sure if it is whether the audience of now, they don't want that. They just want escape. Mm. Um, and they want visuals because visuals are available. Mm. Now you can put a dinosaur on a movie and it looks real. So they don't really care about whether, you know, John loses his wife or not. They don't really give a shit. They want to see. They want to see John being eaten by a dinosaur. I guess. I don't know. To see, I, I kind of agree with that. But then, the funny part is, is that I, dude, I think it's just all marketing. I really do, and I think it's easier for them to market like beautiful visuals than it is for them to, you know, spoil a scene in a movie where, you know, what was that Stars Born scene where? Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper looks back at uh, what's his name from Roadhouse with the mustache, one of the best scenes in the car. And he was like, it wasn't dad. It was always you. And they had that moment where these two men yeah. are breaking right. down. I thought that scene was more powerful than any transformer jumping off of a building. And oh. anybody that watches that scene tears the fuck up. But like, how do you put that in the trailer? You don't, you can't put that in the trailer. You can't, you no, can't market it, it that way. That, that was a great relationship. That, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. And there you have it. That, that movie's been told. Yeah, five or six times, and yet still it felt fresh and 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 a really good, uh, a really good, um, just a relationship between all the actors in that movie. And oh. you know, it, yeah, but but you know, it, it, I left the cinema really wanting to talk about it and to understand it and and having the empathy for everybody in it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you feel so much for him and, and for her and, and, and all the other characters. And there is that, you know, and I think a lot now, you know, television uh, takes its time now to tell a story, which is a wonderful thing. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I love watching a lot of series on TV at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff out there. There really is. I mean, it's hard for me as a director because uh, it's not really a director's medium. I think TV is more of a writer's, showrunner's medium than it is a director's medium now. Well, I agree. And I think part of the reason is because you only get to do a couple of episodes and you're gone. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's hard to give your vision in it. Um, uh, but, but uh, you know, but 
and it's still in there in the cinemas. You know, you see a great, I mean, I thought the Banshees of Inishiran was mm-hmm. breathtaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love, I love relationship movies. I love father-son, brother movies. I love all that. I do too, man. And it's interesting that we're, we're now crossing into a time period now where you're expected to be more emotional as a male, as a man now. So you're attempting yeah. to find this emotionality and, you know, coming out of the eighties where it was, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis and these guys that, you know, you weren't allowed to cry on screen. They're not necessarily like, it was more powerful to see a guy struggling and trying not to cry on screen than if someone was crying on screen. I think that, there's a whole new world as far as uh, male performances are right now where we can be more emotional. And it's, it's, it feels a little dangerous if you're an older guy, but the younger audiences are fully embracing that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, you can't replace a heartfelt story. Now the the difference is, is I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big, I'm not a big Marvel movie goer. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't knock anyone who is. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, and that isn't to say within those characters it can't be very emotional. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, to me, to me, you, you tell a story, then move on. Mm-hmm. I think the mistake is telling the same story again and again and again uh, and expecting the same audience to go and see it again and again. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they just keep opening the doors to McDonald's at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, come on in, have another cheeseburger. You like the exact recipe that we do. And I yeah, exactly. And people people are gonna get tired of it. You're starting to see you're starting to see it now, especially with the Marvel stuff, where folks are starting to call out like the third act of most of those movies. They just become like this CGI mess. And you're like, I don't I don't know who I'm fucking connecting with. And everybody's yeah. flying all over the fucking screen. And the rudeness to make it like three hours long. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's dude. just rude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're going to give me that, give it to me in an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, on and on. Like you think the film's ended, and you're like, oh my god, there's another hour to go. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you there's very few movies that I'm very excited about being that length, and it's usually movies done by a master. Like if Scorsese's doing something that long, it's like, all right, I know that this character's going to re-evolve and then devolve again. So like, I, I, yes. I, I kind of want to see that happen. Um, yes. But yeah, man, it's, or if I'm watching, like I'm excited to see Oppenheimer right now. I'm excited to see Christopher. Oh, God, Nolan's yeah. Movie. I actually auditioned for that. And it felt like years ago. Oh yeah. Cause it you really work, like you worked with him on um, prestige, right? The prestige, which was a really good fun movie. Oh, wow, man. What was it like working with Nolan? Well, it was great. Uh, you know, it was um, it was it was quick. My God, I don't know why they bothered giving any actor a trailer because no one was ever in it. Um, you, once you hit that set, you never left that set because it was just beautifully shot. And in fact, I was in all the prison scenes, and that was downtown LA. Even though it was this, it was meant to be in London, they shot it downtown LA. And when and I'd read the script, I thought the script was phenomenal. I was like, I can't believe you're shooting this in LA. <laughs> and I went to the set, and it was phenomenal. And he'd lit the set. They must have spent two days prior lighting the set. So there was no in-between time. When there was a turnaround, the turnaround was immediate. That's so cool. Uh, and it was um, it was a lot of fun. Um, and he was he was a, a he was kind of a, a dark 
moody dude. Hmm. Um, even in, in, in the heat of California, he had his large, dark um, <laughs> overcoat on. Uh, and it was, uh, but, you know, it, it's one of those rare, rare moments where you read a script and go, my God, you cannot put it down. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, so that in itself was fantastic. Huh. Do you find yourself like when you're, I mean, it must be this way now that you've been doing sets for so long. Do you find yourself on sets now? And if you're around a director that does really great stuff, are you just sort of watching them while in between takes or, or do you, are you trying to keep yourself in character and, and really stay no, focused? No, I'll watch, I'll listen. I'll, I'll I take it all in. I, I chat to people. Um, cause you know, I, I really feel, you know, for me, all the character work's been done before you show up on set. So, uh, and I think that's what gives you freedom is, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I like to watch and learn and I watch, I'll watch scenes I'm not even in. Mm. I love watching. Mm. And I like watching what's happening, what the other actors are doing, where the story's going. Uh, I did that a lot with Carnival Row. I would sit there and watch. That's cool. Uh, with the other guys would chat and I'd watch what's happening and, and thoroughly get into it. Uh, I love walking onto a to an impressive, immersive set. Yeah. I love it. Like you're just taken to a new world. I me too, man. I fucking whenever we light our sets, and I I I like try to eat my lunch in the middle of the lighting because it's just oh. it's like it's why people go to Disney World. You know what I mean? It's it's what that is. You're completely in another space. It's lit to be like a whole other vibe. I fucking oh. it's the reason I make them. I love that yeah. stuff. And as an actor, you're getting up at five in the morning, you're having your hair and makeup done, you got you get into your uniform, you show up at set at six AM and you're like <laughs> as daylight is is breaking. And then you realize all these extras have been there since one AM getting ready. <laughs> and they look fantastic. And and, and the set is full with like a hundred extras doing, you know, going through their life, their character's life. And it's fascinating to watch. Ah, so cool, man. Yeah. So cool. I, the, the few times that I've been able to visit other directors sets and be a guest on their sets. And it takes a while to earn that trust. And once you get that trust and I get to go watch the thing, and I kind of mentioned it before, one of the things that I'm fascinated with is I always feel like the first take of like the first day it's always incredibly awkward. You know what I mean? And like you, you're hearing an actor deliver their lines for the first time. You're trying to figure out the blocking and maybe, you know, I've spent, you know, weeks blocking something out on paper, but then we get to set, it just isn't right. And the camera's not fitting where it needs to go. And so when I, when I see someone else go through that, I'm, I'm always, I'm always fascinated with how they get over that first hurdle. You know what I mean? Which is the, yeah. everything is shit that we're doing right now, but let's just make shit. And let's roll on that and, and then find something that's really great and then use that as a lighthouse to get ourselves out of this shit storm. <laughs> that we're Absolutely. And it, <coughs> there is a sort of, there's a, there's a sort of m melody to it. It's like writing a song, you know, and you play it the first time. You're like, I didn't expect it to sound like that at all. I thought it was going to yeah. be moving or this. It sounds rubbish. Yeah. But then you realize the more you're playing it, you know, you find the true sort of soul or, 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 or you know, emotional groove. And yeah. then you go with that. It's, um, <coughs> that's why, you know, I, I remember listening. I worked with Donald Sutherland once. Mm -hmm. who just, you know, really 
favorite actor of mine. I loved his movies in the seventies. Such a great body of work. And I remember talking to him about it and he was like, you know, my only comment is, um, your first day, your first, uh, your first, the first scene you film, make sure it's not the first scene of the movie. Yeah. Make sure it's not near the beginning. Make sure it's in the middle because you'll be finding your way. And by that time in the story, the audience have already watched half an hour of the movie and any misstep you make, they'll accept. Whereas if you do it at the very first, they're going to they're gonna notice the mistake. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It, it's, it's incredibly smart, man. And as, as a director, I understand that I need the first two minutes of anything I make is the most important. And then the last 10 minutes of whatever I make is the most important. And then everything cool. else in between, if I catch you with both those elements, then people are going to walk out of that movie and at least enjoy it. They're going to go, yeah, that was great. Cause you could fuck yeah. up in the middle multiple times and people will accept. Yeah, and, you know, I always, I always, you know, I'm always happy with the fact that you're never going to satisfy everyone. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it's not going to come out the way you, you wanted expected. It's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, you know, it, it, it is a great, you know, the, I always, it's always funny because actors are, are such moaners. Um, <laughs> you sort of, you sit on a set for a couple of months going, oh, for God's sake, what am I doing here? What's going on? And then I always go, but in six months' time, you're going to look back on this and go with such fond memories. <laughs> yes. It's, it's such a wonderful thing. So, But an actor can't help but moan. Um, Why do you think that, that is? Why do you think that is? The they are. <laughs> you know. That's the those are unicorns again. <laughs> and, and I remember doing Lovecraft Country because a lot of it was shot at night. Because uh, you know, it, my character came in, he started as as at dusk, and then was sort of killed at dawn. Yeah, and uh, so a lot of it we shot at night. A lot of it was outside, sort of upstate Chicago. Mm. Uh, and remember me and this other actor, Matt. We got on really well. We were sitting there on set getting bitten by these mosquitoes from hell. <laughs> going, oh my God, another night of this. But I remember thinking, we're going to look back on this and it's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> and we remain friends. And that's what happens. You look back at it with such joy because you forget being bitten and all that rubbish. Yeah. You just remember the final the look of it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I do the same. When I think back on my sets with fondness, it's always... You know, I, I I always say I'm like a crack addict, you know, like I have that that moment of like the most intense highs, which for me, whenever I'm making something, it's it's in the discovery. Like when you start to discover it with the other people around you, there's nothing better than that. That's just oh. it's 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 like heroin for creatives. And so when you have that, you're just struggling yeah. for that consistently. It's really like doing a sort of a, a, a bump of cocaine because you do, you do the take and it's just magical. Yeah. And, you know, and the director goes cut and you're wired out of your head and it's fantastic. And then the director inevitably will go, okay, great, let's do it again. And you've got to be kind of willing to shake it off. Yeah, that's and crazy. Let it go. And then something else may happen or something else may not. Yeah. But not – and I remember a great French actor was like, don't ever – I was doing a scene with him. I was doing, I was doing a movie called The Lost Son. Mm. And, um, and I did a take, and it was really good. And I was really happy. And he went to the director, and, okay, let's do another take. And I tried to redo it. 
to do the same thing because I was so happy with it. So now it became slightly fake because mm. I was trying to hit a level yeah. rather than just organically hitting it. And I remember the French actor, Daniel Utel, said to me, um, Jamie, you've already done that. Just let it be. Try, you know, just let it be. And if nothing happens, nothing happens, but do something different. And I always remember that was a huge learning curve for me. Yeah. Just, you know, let it be, let it just happen, whatever happens. Right. Cause we've got it, right. I've got it on, I've got because it you, captured. You, you've got that on, you've got that. And it's not, you've got, and obviously I'm not saying if you're doing a very heightened scene, you come in as if you just had a, a joint you've got to be heightened up with that scene yes you've got to have all the game the background all built up so when you enter you're entering from a certain level and you're playing the stakes you've got to play the stakes otherwise it won't work but uh, otherwise let it be yeah yeah that's always a that, that's a fascinating thing right because if and i i'm sure every actor is different but if you're too celebratory about it, then you're you're breaking character, which is interesting. Yeah, it's I, you know I just think you know it, it, it's it, it, it is the fun as you said it's that fun of the moment. That's why you know that's why at the end of every day, I think as an actor, director, whatever, you sleep really well yeah. because you're exhausted. You put a lot into that and. and you know, even you may only have had two lines in a scene, but you put, you've invested into those moments and it's, it takes it out of you afterwards. Yeah, well, and then you go through this whole process. It's almost like being in a plane crash. You go through this entire process of making movies as a director. And then for, for months after that, I'm always having set dreams and nightmares, set nightmares yeah. and, and set dreams. So it's almost like this post-traumatic stress after doing such a crazy event. Um, because it is such, if, if you ever get an opportunity, those of you listening, if you ever get an opportunity to direct a film with a bunch of people and there's some money behind it, it's an incredibly fucking stressful thing to do. I remember, I remember listening to this story. Uh, one of my favorite Westerns is The Wild Bunch by Sam Peckinpah. Yeah, great. Movie. He was the very last day of shooting. They were shooting the scene where, they're on the bridge and they, they blow up the bridge and the, the, the cowboys and their horses fall into the river. <laughs> and apparently, as they were filming that at the end of it, um, Sam Peckinbar started crying. And he was asked, why? You know, why are you crying? He said, because that's it. The film is now over. And I think I've made the best film I'll ever make. And it was one of his first. I don't know if it was his first film, but it was one of his first films. Yeah. It wasn't his no, no, I don't think so. No, but, but um, it was one of his first movies, and he already realized that was the story he always wanted to tell, but also that it was over. Yeah, yeah, it's always, it's always sad. I think the last day on a set, there's always a sadness, even if it's been a grueling movie, even if it's been a grueling adventure, there's a sadness at the end of it that whatever you've gone through. You're not going to go through it again. It's over now. You pack your bags and you go home. Yeah, because at least I feel that it takes forever. It seems to take forever to find your rhythm, right? So, like, as you're going through the process, you're looking for, like we talked about earlier, you're looking for that spark. You're looking for that, that, that uh, you know, those notes to, to sound right. And then you're trying to find your rhythm with everybody else. You're trying to find your rhythm with your crew. 
You're trying yeah. to find your rhythm with everything. And, and then after like five days or six days, things start to really come together and, and, and everybody's firing as a machine and all of that prep work seems to be working out really great. And people are, are transitioning. Your department heads are transitioning from being super balls of stress to like smiling in the morning and, and people yeah. are talking. And then, you know, then you might have, if you're doing a feature, you might have like a week of that. And then you are hitting the end at the back end of it. And I, I, that's where the depression comes in because you finally figure out how to get all of these strangers, this little town of people to work together and to do something really great. And then you all have to walk away from that town afterwards. And it's, it's always a well-oiled machine, even if it's clunky and it feels yeah, it feels sort of untogether. It's still a well-oiled machine. I mean, Carnival Row season two, we were there for five months in Prague. Crazy. And I remember when we arrived, I was like, Jesus, God, we got five months of this. <laughs> and it went, I, and then you wake up and it's over. You're like, where, where did the five months go? I can't believe it's finished. And, you know, and, and it's a sign of a, it's a sign of one, thoroughly enjoying working on it, but two, it's a part of your life that you've given. Yeah. as a director, as an actor, as all the crew members to this project, and then it's gone. Yeah. You know. Do you find it, so when you go do something for five months, do you find it difficult on your personal life to be gone for that period of time? Well, yes, I did, because let me tell you, uh, uh, when I did season two of Carnival Row, I just had, we just had our first baby. Oh, my God. So, no, I said to them that, no, 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 if I was going to go for that. And it was during COVID. Yeah. So Prague was shut down to tourists. It was only open to people working. And you had to fill out the amount of forms was, <laughs> it was like writing a book. And um, and I said to them, I'd only go if, if my wife and child could come. And they were really they were really easy with it. They were absolutely fine. So they came with me. So it was a really, it was a really a family experience. Nice. Um, and I got to see my child grow up whilst I was being a racist copper. <laughs> uh, and then all the cast got to meet meet my wife and baby, and it was a phenomenal atmosphere. It really was. Uh, I would find it hard if I had to get up and leave them. Yeah. Because, um, you know, five months may not be long in our lifetime, but in the kids it's a long time. Well, it's also tough if you're in a relationship with somebody, right? Because uh, yeah. I think the thing that keeps at least my relationship strong is that the two of us are very independent. We're both very successful with what we do. And we're, we're, we find ourselves, because she also works in the business, we find ourselves thrust into these insane uh, I had no idea that this would ever happen with my life. And I don't know how I got here and I'm, I'm meeting all these people and it's incredibly exciting. And if you're not sharing those things with your partner, if you guys aren't growing through that together, then it's very easy to grow distant and grow apart. Because It is easy to grow distant. And again, I think that's where the experience of life kicks in. Yeah. Is, is to realize what it is for what it is and to always stay strong. Because I think, if, if you, for me, if you have that strong family life, home life, it gives you the availability and the strength to go away and do what you have to do and what you love doing. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have that, uh, you know, and I've seen it on sets, certain characters, actors, friends 
they go uh, they go off the wire a little bit. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. like if they're playing pool, the ball's just left the table and it's on the floor somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're forever trying to get the damn ball back on the table. So you're like <laughs> you're missing the point. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm all. It's a it's a fascinating thing, right? Because our in our business, we're spending so much time, like as an actor, I'm sure you're spending so much time learning your craft, you know, audition after audition and like yeah. auditioning, like talent agents and management and, and, yeah. and people going, no, 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 no. And then you finally start to find a rhythm and you finally start to find, uh, you know, a way in. And when it shows up, these things are like, Hey man, I know that you've got a family, but this is your chance. So, you know, yeah. step up, man. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's, and, and, and then also I think I've learned to realize that it's all, it's always a snowball effect. You will have, you'll ride the wave of work and then that wave will crash. Yeah. And, and then you, then the way the ocean goes still for a bit until the next set of waves come. And you've got to be ready, I guess. I've never surfed, so I don't know why I'm using a surfboard <laughs> analogy here. But you know, you've got to be ready to take the next wave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree, man. I, we were just talking about this recently because uh, the both of us, my girlfriend and I, had just done a bunch of projects, and you're at the top of that wave. And then you know, you turn everything in, you you finish that stuff, and that wave crashes really quickly. And especially yeah. with uh, you know modern media, you know most of our stuff is digested within five minutes. Like someone on the phone fucking watches it, and they go, "No, oh, okay, oh, God, I hate that." You know, and they're like, "Oh, okay, oh. well, th there's that." And so you you really, if you're looking for an audience to fulfill, you know, or validate the amount of time that you just spent doing something, then you're fucking barking up the wrong tree, man. No, you are. You are. I mean, again, going back to Carnival Row, five to six months. It, I mean, season two, because of COVID, took about I, about three years to film. It's crazy. And and then the damn thing came and went in about six weeks. It's yeah. gone. Yeah. It's forgotten about because the next Amazon show comes on the television. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Yeah. All that work for that. And it's forgotten about it. it. It is a strange, it is a strange media. And it's got that way. Because, you know, when I was young, there was only three channels in England anyway. And you went to the cinema. And then you'd see the, the new movie out. And then you'd have to wait for the smaller theaters. They would bring it out again as a double feature, maybe four months later. Mm -hmm. And you could watch it again. So it had a life, a rebirth the whole time. And then it would come out on television. And then later on, it would come out on video, whatever you had. Now it just comes out in one splodge. It's around for about 10 days and it's gone. Yeah, man. You know, <coughs> you know what's funny is that I just think it's... I really honestly, I honestly feel like the general audience, they are just waiting to eat something. And it's all about how you're delivering their food to them. It really yeah. is. And like last week here in Los Angeles, I went, I was invited to go see uh, Tommy Wiseau's new movie. So I don't know if you know who he is. He was the director and the actor that did that cult movie called The Room. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he has notoriously for those of you listening 
I'm sure you've seen the movie that was put out by A24 with uh, Seth Rogen uh, and James Franco. They were in the movie based upon that. And, you know, when that guy initially made his film, it was completely obvious that he thought he was making an Academy Award winning dramatic piece. And, you know, when they screened it for the first time, the audience laughed at it. And he embraced that. And I, you could see that he was trying to, you know, cover up his ego. He embraced that and said, I intentionally made this funny. No, you didn't. It was uh, a really trashy movie that was terrible and people started to laugh at it. So we went and saw his new one and it just came out and it was, it's called like Big Shark or something. It's awful. Like as far as like the technical ability of him and, and the stuff that happens on screen, it's just pure, purely awful. And we went and watched it and the fucking audience loved it. And they're sitting in this theater and they're saying the lines and the movie's only been out for like a couple of weeks. And these are repeat viewers that are all under the age of 25 and they're in this theater repeating and singing and, and, you know, replicating lines. And, and after the movie happens, he, the director goes up for a Q and a, and they line up. This is whole room of people that line up and love this guy. And I, I went and saw it with a couple of other directors and, one of them was mumbling and he was just like, you know, this movie was awful. And I go, dude, if I could get a theater of people that are this excited and under the age of 25, this is the demographic that supposedly is on their fucking phone the entire time something's playing on television. No wow. one was on their phone in this place. So it, it, it does exist. And I think it's, I think it's about how it's put together and whether or not people think it's going to be a fun experience. And I think a lot of the shit that we're fed right now through a lot of the streamers is just like, it's trough mentality. Hey, step up, eat your meal, move on. Step up, eat your meal, yeah. move on. You know? Yeah. But I wonder, I wonder, as depressing as that story was, I wonder, has, have those kind of filmmakers always been around? I you know, know, the sort of trashy, the trashy horror movies <laughs> of the 60s and 50s and 70s. and For sure. You know, um, so I, I guess there's always a place for them, although it is a bit, it's a bit sad to, you know, to think that that gentleman may have got a standing ovation for doing a piece of rubbish. <laughs> uh, you know. It's true. It's, it, it, it's wild, man. But I, I think that most, more importantly, regardless of the quality of what he did, it was the experience. And, you know, being able, that audience knew that when they went to that movie theater, they were going to have a good time. And if they weren't having a good time, they wanted to make it a good time. And so they were attempting to make it into a good time because of the reputation that his first movie had and the cult status that that had. And right. I, I think that, you know, one of the big, and it might just be because I'm a director, but... I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of the streamers are doing is that it's all about brand recognition. So it's all about the big red N or like the knocking on the table sound instead of it being about the filmmaker and of being about the movie going experience. Um, yes, but you also don't know that may have been the only hundred people who liked it in the, the, that were in that cinema. I don't you know. know. I don't know, man. He made so his first movie, The Room. I think he it cost him. I don't know how he afforded it. He spent a couple million on that. He made, you know, thirty million on top of that. So the you know tripled in profit on people just going to see the movie to laugh at that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's this is a successful thing there somewhere, dude. You know. Yeah, no, there is. Yeah, 
I remember doing uh, when I did West Side Story, and it came out at Christmas, and um, my wife's family wanted to go and see it, and, and I was like, "Look, it's Spielberg's West Side Story. You guys better buy tickets." Yeah. yeah. Uh, on opening day, they wanted to go, so they went. Uh, I didn't go. They went, and um, and they sent me a photo of the, of the theater. They were the only ones in there. I know. I know. I mean, I was like, "What?" And they were like, yeah, no, just no one went. And that was a, you know, that was a recent sort of humbling, eye-open experience because I assumed everyone would go and see it. And I guess it wasn't, it wasn't the youth. They didn't, they didn't want to see a musical, I guess. I don't know. It was weird. I think it was marketed weird. It was weird. I love that movie. I thought he did a crushing job in that movie. How was your experience yeah. on that? Was it, was it great? Well, yeah, I just, you know, I flew to New York. It was just one scene. It's a quick scene. I flew there. I got on really well with him and all the other young actors. We had a great day filming in some bar. I can't even remember where it was. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, and, I, and again, you know, I have to say he has the best, the best crew of what they do for that particular job they were the top notch yeah and it made the set so easy and relaxed yeah and it was just a joy it was an honor um you know i, I just did the one day i left i remembered it fondly i stayed in new york for like four more days having a laugh and came back yeah uh, and um but then i was shocked when it came out i thought everyone in the world would want to see it and it just it didn't turn out that way yeah, I don't think it was marketed right. Yeah, you never can tell, isn't it? You know. Yeah, you can't. You really can. It's all about timing, right? It's all about what's going yeah. on in the in the world at the time that your movie's released. And then I also think it's the marketing. It it was like a it was a weird step for Spielberg. Obviously, it feels like it was a dream of his to actually do a musical and add that to his his catalog. But it was just a yeah. very strange timed thing. I I think the movie's phenomenal. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I agree. It may, it just may not, it may have been the wrong time. And also it was, it was during the bloody COVID again. Yeah, dude. Everybody was afraid of stuff and they wanted escapism and, you know, kids dancing and singing and, uh, you know, depressing Brooklyn may not have been that thing that they needed. It ain't going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, funny. Uh, well, Jamie, this has been great, man. I, get, I I could talk to you for another two hours, brother. I, 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 Same for me. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. I appreciate you sharing so much, man. It's, it's. I feel honored that you share this much because I, I feel like I'm I'm just able to sort of sneak in next to you on sets and hear these stories and and uh, you know try to get a little bit of the knowledge uh, and experience that you've witnessed uh, in your career. And uh, I think you should be. Well, I, I very I appreciate proud of your work. I, I love I love talking about it. I love talking to to directors and other people in in the business. I I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, man. You know? Well, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I'm going to go back to being a dad now. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, if you think, if you think being on set is hard, try being downstairs with two babies, <laughs> both of them girls, <laughs> and hard. and action. <laughs> And action. Oh, you're just waiting for the and cut, actually.
Okay, there it is. Good, good conversation. Am I right? Did you guys have fun? I sure as hell did. Ah, man. And I like I liked falling down further into these different holes with him. You know, you know, working with Christopher Nolan. I mean, the dude worked with Christopher Nolan, Terrence Malick. You know, Steven Spielberg. There are so many young actors out there that their goal is to be a leading man, right? Or to be the leading lady in a film. And I get it, right? You want to be the big the big hero on screen. You want to be the person that everybody knows. You want to make that kind of money. But there is such a great career in being a supporting character actor. There really is. And the benefit that someone like Jamie has is that he has worked with so many so many really great directors. I mean, he's getting the same kind of set experience as, you know, Christian Bale is with these folks. So it's it's a really cool hack, man. It's a really cool way into the business. And uh, if you can find a way to make that work, if you can find an agent or, um, you know, a casting agent that sees you, sees your character as something that's valuable, um, then you can find yourself thrust daily, weekly, on cool TV shows, on crazy sets, and really get that life experience without that long-term commitment, which is great, especially if you're trying to do a family and you're trying to do all that stuff. It's kind of cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Great episode. Thanks again, Jamie. If you're listening to it, man, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for chatting. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Lots more episodes coming on the way um and that's it man i won't drag this out thanks for listening and uh, as always i will see you next tuesday and uh, hey dad thanks for listening